friends, welcome back to The Sib List. I am Lisa Leahy. And I am Mark Passanelli. Today we are talking about 2021's Reminiscence, starring Hugh Jackman and Rebecca Ferguson. This is episode 1.6 already. Unbelievable. And these people just keep coming back for this. They keep coming back to listen, and we appreciate you. Yeah. Thank you for listening. You guys are, you to guys are insane. <laughs> I mean, what, what's what's more fun than listening to two siblings crack on each other? And you know, it's true. I think it's a fun time. Mm-hmm. All right. So last time, our wheel chose new release for us, and we chose Reminiscence. Mm-hmm. What did you think, Mark? Weird movie, but I enjoyed it. Um, it, <laughs> I don't even I don't even know how to begin to explain this one. Um, I I don't even know. <laughs> Great, I, I just Thank it's you. just it's just so, it By was the such way, a, this is a movie podcast. You should have an opinion. I know, <laughs> I know. This movie, um, God, I don't even know. I don't even know how to start. I don't even know how to start on this one. All right. Well, I mean, it's interesting because watching it, (laughs) it's kind of like a a meta reminiscence because as you watch it, you are reminded of a million other different films. (laughs) Um, You know, going into it, it was a film I hadn't heard an awful lot uh, of good things about. I heard that it started off with a kind of interesting idea and then kind of went off the rails. I don't know that I agree with that. I don't think it's a terrible movie, but it's it's a little schmaltzy and it's a little too schmaltzy for me. It's not something I would ever want to watch again. Um, a little bit heavier on the romance than I really felt like watching. Mm-hmm. However, I did appreciate the attempt at bringing back some edges of film noir that you know dark voice over the femme fatale the mystery uh that sort of thing there was a lot of film noir in this one i i I kept saying that as i'm like i love the film noir part of this i love the the self-narration i love the femme fatale i did love all of that and even the time period they're trying to represent even though it really seemed like it was futuristic too oh, yeah. it was a weird bounce and I, I i asked for forgiveness for my initial like reaction to how i felt because it was just it it's pulling me in two different ways my reaction towards it. i loved it but i didn't love it i understood it but i had no idea what the hell was happening it, it was it really kind of messed with my head a little bit i feel i i, I don't think it's in a good way i think what's happening is this there are a lot of ideas and it's not pinned down enough to be a quality homage to that time period, to the style of filmmaking. It, it, you know, like the characters I think are interesting. I think Rebecca Ferguson does a great job. I think she's the strength of this film. Whereas Jackman is kind of doing, you know, a guy who saw film noir. Yeah, he's doing romantic Jackman. He's doing gritty romantic Jackman. If you want to see, you know, like uber chick flicky romantic Jackman, go and see Kate and Leopold. Holy Toledo. <laughs> wow. That's a mushy romantic Jackman. 
it's also weirdly uh I I don't know. It's 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 worse than schmaltzy. It's almost pandering. But anyway, you know, I think what happens here and please don't be offended in my my assessment of your reaction. But I feel like if you've seen good noir and you really know and appreciate good noir, this is a cheap replication. And I don't know. I, I legitimately don't know how much good noir you've seen. Uh, slim to none, if I'm being completely honest with you. That has always been a genre that has never really um, been an attraction to me. Um, I might even lose listeners when I say I have actually never even seen Sin City. Well, th- you're not going to lose listeners for that. I mean, oh, that's, good. that's a niche film. That film is really cool to just look at, frankly. Mm. It's a, a really say it. No, no, no. Go ahead, please. It's it's a you know, I haven't read the graphic novel on which it's based, but I know that I remember watching it and thinking, I just want to mute this and look at it because visually it was really pretty cool. Great segue here. I actually felt there was a lot of beauty to this movie, though. I agree. There was a it was very nice to not at all times, not to the level of Sin City being like a graphic novel on screen, but there was just a lot of just beauty like it was just a gorgeous movie a lot of times especially the outdoor scenes or when they're moving on the train and it and it's the train is going through uh the water and just just endless of other endless other shots that i just absolutely loved in this movie Mm, i agree with you on that i mean it was it was definitely beautiful to look at um kudos to the production designers for this particular film um Kudos to the composer, who I think did a great job. I don't know if uh, you were picking up on it, because we've talked about this numerous times where you don't pay attention (laughs) to the music. And I think this time you're going to kick yourself, because the composer here is Raman Djawadi, who did the compositions, among others, for Game of Thrones. Mm. So this music is got a very... not ethereal mystical dark fantasy kind of quality he also did the music for the westworld tv show on hbo uh among other things actually makes sense based on some of the casting in this yes so you you kind of think about how some of those shows and what this music sounds like and how it fits in he does have a very particular style and um (laughs) <laughs> one scene in particular I was especially tickled by. There's a, a fight in a bar, and at one point the jukebox is shot, and Soft Cell's Tainted Love plays for a little I bit. Was, uh, vice versa. It was playing until it was shot, and I was very upset by that. <laughs> well, did you notice that Juwadi's score picked up the rhythms of it? And uh, that I did, actually. That scene, I, I did that actually really follow great. that. I enjoyed the heck out of that. So I thought that was very cool. Um, I really, you know, aside from the film noir, I really saw some heavy handed parallels to Inception. There was a lot here about the lost love. It's not a dream. It's memory. The music sounded similar. In fact, 
you have that chase scene through, um, you know, a, a kind of market that was very similar to the Mombasa scene in Inception when Cobb is being chased. The music in those two scenes is very similar. It it just was a lot of that kind of stuff. This this lulling mm-hmm. speech. It- Rhyme, whatever a, that yeah. Jackman recites, the recitation is yes. very much like Cobb and Mal's You're Waiting for a Train. Yes, recitation. absolutely. That's a, that's a great parallel that you just drew right there. Absolutely. Even the transitions in, in the movie itself of you're sharing this moment uh, with Jackman's character and Ferguson's character, uh, May and Nick, forgive me. Um, and they're having a wonderful time. And all of a sudden click he's actually in the tube like you don't know that the director does not want you to really piece together are you in the now or are you in the then and there's a lot of that a lot of that to the point where i started wondering if this if any of this was even happening (laughs) i had one quite at one point i questioned i'm like is this all just him in the tube, just picturing all of this. Did any of this actually ever happen? It, it did, did it obviously. But I, I questioned myself for a minute. So the transitions, the first time I saw the transition, I was like, wow, that was actually really cool how they did that. But then they yeah. kept doing it. They kept going back to it. And I'm like, okay, can we please just keep in the now for a short period of time? Well, I thought what I thought was cool about it was how it does – sort of make the film a manifestation of what memory really is. And this idea of memory is kind of like a Russian doll where it's stacked one within the other, within the other, within the other. Frankly, again, very much like Inception. Inception. Yeah, (laughs) You know, it's just... There was a lot of, of touching upon everything in this movie. A lot of movies, like you mentioned, seem to have been touched upon in this particular movie. Yeah, and I, and I, I... do look at this film and I'm not, I don't suggest that it was ripped off, uh, that it ripped off Inception. I don't. Um, I think Lisa Joy, the writer and the director had some really interesting ideas. I just think the execution because Inception is such a remarkable film and because you're dealing with Christopher Nolan, putting us there first that you kind of can't help, but draw the parallel. Um, I think this is a nice story in and of itself, but I don't think it's going to test stand the test of time the way something like Inception will. No. Um, yeah. I, I, I honestly couldn't agree with you more. It was, it was a decent movie, but it's, I really feel like it is going to, for lack of a better term, kind of fade into oblivion a little bit. Like it's not going to be a remembered movie like Inception. I agreed a hundred percent. Yeah. Um, Interestingly enough, as I'm over here combing through IMDb, Lisa Joy is married to Jonathan Nolan. Stop it. Yeah. (laughs) So. So we're going to go ahead and guess that there might have been some uh, directorial notes exchanged here and there at some point. There might have been. I mean, I like I said, I (laughs) I. Oh. I wish I didn't know that. I wish I didn't know that. But, uh-huh. you know, I, I like the world she created. 
I think she's got a few too many characters. I think she's got a few too many layers. But I was able to follow the story. I am still a little fuzzy on what was going on with the land baron, uh, Walter Sylvan, mm-hmm. and how what was really going on there. I understand the basic concept of the land barons were buying up all of the dry land now right. that Miami is essentially a quarter, half underwater, and you know, making it difficult for people to survive. And, you know, there are riots coming up from that. He's being charged with that kind of thing. But then we get toward the end and we're dealing with his son, Sebastian. I understand what's going on with his wife, how she's sort of got a a dementia and she's locked into this one particular memory when she was dancing with her husband, Walter, a point when she was truly, truly happy. I am not sure if she's suffering dementia or if she got locked here purposefully because it seems that people have the capability of manipulating their memories and visiting a memory too often means you get locked in it so you have because a she, she did mention that she was they did mention that she was a customer of nick bannister at one point right. so that exactly could be what it was Right. I think that's what's being suggested here. Kind of a, a eternal sunshine in reverse. Instead yes. of erasing the bad memories, we're going to focus on one single good one in repetition for eternity. I thought that was an incredibly sad scene where he shows up to speak to Tamara and it, the the gentleman who greets him at the door is like, yeah, you're an hour late. And here's your costume and make sure you stick to the script. And it's just one guy after another, after another who shows up and just plays this memory with her over and over. And I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's very poignant to think this woman has been so hurt in her life that she needs to hold to this one memory and that her entire life now will be this one memory. Mm-hmm. And it makes me wonder what it's like to be her. And it also makes me wonder what it's like to be her son. And I think there's some elements here where you and I have not been very closely touched by Alzheimer's disease. You and I can really only speculate. Correct. If if this movie is any um, understanding of what dementia could be like, though, I, I like you said, I can't even imagine what it'd be like to be her son in this situation. You know, father just died and mother is dealing with this. Yeah, I, I couldn't even begin to wonder. Mm. It is. I mean, it is a very tragic story. It really uh, is. You know that we have everybody in this movie is dealing with negative aspects of their life. There is no one who is happy in this film. Arguably, there is no one who is happy in this world to the point that this is the kind of business that Nick Bannister is running, where he has this mechanism that was created for the specific reason of deposing criminals, right? War criminals and then actual like law criminals kind of thing, like everyday you know crime criminals for you know hashtag (laughs) words are hard but anyway you know what i mean so he has adapted it or it has been long around enough 
words are very hard today. It has been around long enough that <laughs> he's making a business off it somewhat because he's having people come in and they are revisiting memories, but then not everybody always pays. Mm. And sometimes they allow people to just come in because they are empathetic to their situation. So stuff like mm. that, I think is interesting. I mean, a big, uh, big part of the, well, not a big part, but a part you've noticed multiple times is if you served and you are acknowledged as serving by someone who has served, you're going to get, kind of a, a break as it were he didn't charge the the man with no legs who served later on when he was thrown out of tamara's rep uh, repetitive room he was his life was spared because he served like th th this war was huge for them yeah. and it, it it went above and beyond all levels of understanding and beliefs and everything it the war seems to have come first to these people, and it's it's not it's 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 not beat over your head with it. They don't beat you over the head with it, but it's definitely prevalent to them. I think it's interesting too the amount of respect given to the people who fought in this war. Yes, definitely a contemporary issue where veterans are not given their proper due in many capacities where veteran respect comes from common people who recognize the sacrifice that was made whereas the higher ups don't really attend the way they should correct just like the sylvans mm -hmm. into a political edge if yes. you will i will i appreciate that <laughs> so what are your thoughts on the characters of this film who stood out to you and why Rebecca Ferguson stood out to me. Um, I love Rebecca Ferguson, for the record. Um, obviously, what I thought do you was, love her from? Um, well, obviously, I love her from Greatest Showman. I I personally really liked Doctor Sleep and thought she was fantastic in that. Also, uh, those two movies always come to mind when I think of Rebecca Ferguson. Um, it's interesting because going back, I I was like, I know her, I know her, I know her. And you're right, she plays Rose the Hat in Doctor Sleep. Yes. Um, she was also in the more recent Mission Impossible movies um, on a lesser role. That one wasn't a very lasting impression role for me, uh, but she was also in those movies. And I believe she was also in Life with mm -hmm. Ryan Reynolds. Yes. Yes. Yes, she was. Um, um, so, yeah. Looking back on her uh, filmography, I mean, she's got quite a list of films. And mm -hmm. I think it's good that she's becoming more prominent, becoming more recognizable. Uh, a little bit of trivia about Rebecca Ferguson in this movie I took while I was waiting for us to begin this. Apparently, unlike in The Greatest Showman, in this movie, you, you actually do hear her actual singing voice. Oh. Yeah. She does have a lovely voice. Yes. Yes, she does. But so that is not her singing in Greatest Showman. But in this movie, it is actually her. Interesting. Mm -hmm. That is not you're something welcome. I was aware of. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, I wasn't a big fan of The Greatest Showman, so a lot of it doesn't really oh. stick for me. <laughs> Love that movie. I mean, Love I don't it. think I it's not wait for it to come to Broadway. Yeah, I'm, I'm, Sorry. I'm all Sad. set. I will say, though, I will die on the hill. This is me should have won the Oscar for best original song. 
there was no yeah. contest that year. No. I don't no. care how much the song in Coco made you cry. It wasn't that song. It wasn't that performance. And Kayla Settle's performance live at the Oscars, performing that song, proves uh -huh. just how talented they all are and how talented she is. So that made me insane. I'm pretty sure This Is Me also needs to be the outro of this particular episode now. No, I can't do that because I don't have the rights. I I'd rather know. not be sued. Are you going to pay for it when I get hauled to jail? I'm waiting for somebody to call us out on the horrible Photoshop hack jobs I'm doing to the posters for each of these films. Wait a minute. Hold on. Stop. That's Photoshop? <laughs> Never had one lesson. No, um, yeah. I'm impressed. Let's go back and talk about May because I, I skewed you off your point. I, I apologize. Oh, no, no. That was me apologizing <laughs> for throwing you off. Um, so, yeah. So, Rebecca Ferguson, again, I mentioned I love her very much. Um, I think, and, and you touched upon it briefly at the beginning of this, um, that she was, she was essentially the glue that binds in this movie. She was the standout. She... You didn't know what she was during this movie. You thought that she was at first she was just this innocent person who came in who lost her keys. And, hey, real quick, can you just help me find them? Then it turns out that she's a con artist. She she cons you into um, essentially, for lack of a better term, giving you what she wants because that's what con artists do. Uh, but in this way, in, in this film, you learn longer that she's actually been, I don't want to say training. Would you say training for it? Yeah, um, she had to work up preparing to Preparing for it. She's been preparing for it to essentially make her own mind believe it so much that it couldn't be portrayed or revealed in these memories that um, Nick Bannister is you know trained to find that's a really uh, good point that she has managed to hide all of that from her consciousness from for herself. that extended amount of time but then it goes back to finding out that she actually was a bad uh, quote-unquote bad person pretending to be a good person turns out she is a quote-unquote bad person but in the end she's actually a good person and who who does actually love nick bannister for who he is and what he is um, and doesn't want to live the life that she did before, which does go back into uh, the movie's motto or saying of don't look back. And you can see this whole movie. She's well, as the movie goes along, she's actually fighting this. She's fighting going back to what she was versus going forward to what she wants to be. Yeah. And I think that's actually a very good way of bringing up the femme fatale in a kind of contemporary setting where you do have that blurred line. You know, the femme fatale is definitely somebody that you should stay away from the classic films and how they're out for themselves. And, you know, she's going to take what she needs from you, you know, think like, <laughs> I don't know why this is what my brain does, but you know, Hall and Oates have a song called man eater, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and that's the perfect kind of metaphor for a femme fatale. Um, if, you know, normal people who are yelling at me right now, the film Double Indemnity, you know, Barbara Stanwyck is one of the pinnacle examples of a femme fatale in 
these kinds of noir films. Here you have a woman who she's a sweet damsel in distress. And then it turns out she's not so sweet. And then it turns out she's not so innocent. And then it turns out there's not so much any distress, but wait, there is distress. And, you know, she actually does have some redeeming qualities and it kind of goes back and forth, back and forth. So you do have a lot of edges of who is really good, who is really bad in real life. And obviously that question is never easy to answer in real life. She's also the only character that had multiple layers. Everybody else was who they were. Nobody tried to hide who they were in this movie. She's the only one. That's that a good point. Was, was just, you had no idea who she was. Everybody else, you knew who they were. She was the mystery wrapped in an enigma. Yes. <laughs> um, what were your thoughts on uh, Tendiwe Newton playing Watts? Watts. Um, Watts was definitely trying to be the voice of reason for Nick Bannister through this whole movie. I, I questioned her feelings for him. You know, please don't go that route. I care about you. You know, you need to look forward again. Don't look back. Um, and no matter what she did, um, she obviously could never uh break through to him the way that may was able to uh, maybe she realized that so she you know she did the best she could um she did always present herself as a person that is always there for him though even when they go down to new orleans like where did she come from all of a sudden she's busting through the door and she's just kicking ass out of rent out, out of just sheer randomness like where did you even come from but the whole idea that Watts is and always has been there for Nick um, was definitely uh, portrayed very openly, very like very in your face to me. Like there's no mistaking who she was. She was the Jiminy Cricket on his shoulder. And it's interesting to use somebody who has her kind of inner darkness as that sort of light in conscience um, because you are dealing with a man who's got his own kind of obsessions and she's got her own demons that she refuses to delve into. Whereas he full tilt goes into it. And um, you know, it obviously leads to some problems for him and for them in general. Um, At what point did you find the purpose and the meaning behind Cyrus Booth. Cyrus Booth for a long time really confused me in this movie. It wasn't until um, he actually came face to face with Walter's son that I really realized what Cyrus Booth was in this movie. Like, did it take you that long to understand his purpose in this movie? I think what went wrong with Cyrus Booth for me is I felt like his character was underdeveloped as much as there's many layers to what it is he's actually doing, I feel like the execution wasn't as strong as it could have been, despite Cliff Curtis being a good actor. Yes. He's not I somebody that, you know, he's no hack, this guy. But mm. I feel like, the I don't know if it's because the film was long. Um, you know, it's almost, what is it, just under two hours long? I feel like it's yeah. 145 or so. Yeah, about, I think it was like 150. But I yeah. wonder if there were more scenes about Booth that were cut. 
that there we didn't absolutely see. had to have been there had to have been he was such an underdeveloped character but such an important character to this movie the fact that it's all of this is hinging on his idea of how to get this done this whole thing was him and they never really touch upon that until the whole reveal at the end. He's not in it enough for me to be able to grasp onto his character and his importance to this movie. And I feel like that may be one of the shortcomings that's kind of making me feel meh on the film in general. There wasn't, for what they were trying to do with a kick ending or a surprise ending, which some film noir really does tend to have, like you have somebody revealed as being not what you expected. We have that, but not in the classic tradition of noir, at least not in every uh, version of it. But, you know, like this, it, it wasn't enough of a of a kickstart for me to be like, oh, that's this guy. And, oh, that's what was really right. behind it. It was just kind of like, oh, cool detail. I like that. Yeah, I mean, definitely could have done more. I mean, you don't meet him. I'm sorry. You meet him quickly in the memory of um some gentleman in um, one of the tubes from, I don't know, war times or whatever during a deposition or trying to get a deposition. And then you don't hear from him again. You have no idea what the importance of him, but you recognize the face. You know he's somebody. But then you're like, where'd he go? And all of a sudden he just appears again at the end with, this, again, this enormous reveal where all of a sudden the movie spins on its heels and it's all about Cyrus Booth all of a sudden. And it, it just... I think you're right in the creation of this movie that they probably cut out a lot of his backstory, a lot of who he was. I mean, they don't even really touch upon his scars, his burns for for until like the end of the movie. It's literally five seconds. Of, oh, OK. This is where that came from. With that, I get it, though, because that was going to be sort of like the where he ended up thing. So in terms of Nick Bannister, focusing sort of his revenge on Booth's scars and frying him. That's not the word. What is the word? Uh, oh, God. Is it blanking him? Like, I forget what it no, says they were doing. No, it's not blanking him. I can't think of what it is. But um, as far as Bannister getting his revenge on Booth and, you know, kind of frying his brain and, and sticking him in that point. Um, the blanking isn't quite what happens here because the blanking is the thing that comes up when they steer them down a path that they don't actually have a memory for and the static kicks in. That's um, fair. This was, oh, and the word escapes me, I don't remember it's what it is. kind of like he's overloading him with it, Yeah, it's I not guess. frying. I can't, oh, God, it's killing me. No. But anyway, it'll come to me when we're done recording. Of course. Um, um, you know, so this whole film, to kind of come back, step back a little bit to the, the whole picture. If we look at what's really going on here and what likely was a kind of inspiration for what Lisa Joy is writing here, the Orpheus and Eurydice, Eurydice, Eurydice? You're asking me? Eurydice. I'm going to say Eurydice. <laughs> Sounds um, great. The Orpheus and Eurydice myth is not what he presents it to be at the very end. So we have this story at the very end when Nick is under and he is with May and it looks like they have their happy ending. Now, in the middle of the film, and this is what's interesting, because if you go back and you look, 
the scene where he is with her on the balcony just before twilight, before the sun sets, and she says to him, tell me a story. And he, she wants a happy story or an ending with a happy a story with a happy ending. And he says, well, you know, no stories have a happy ending, especially the ones that um, are happy stories, especially do not have happy endings. So we go through this whole situation and that scene is actually cut. Where she says, okay, well, tell me a story and stop in the middle. When we come to the end of this film, our shared experience with Nick and May goes back to the middle of the film. And he tells the story of Orpheus and Eurydice and says, you know, she dies tragically. He goes to the underworld, the land of the dead. He says hell. Um to retrieve her he goes Orpheus goes to make a deal with Hades and um part of what grants him this permission is because of his talents you know he's musical and he's able to charm Cerberus the the three-headed dog and he charms Hades and everybody else so Hades says yes you may have your wife back on one condition that you do not look back as you are leading her back to life and of course in the classic myth he does look back and she is yanked back to the underworld never to be alive again and he is left with this regret now here we have a story where he tells her that orpheus is successful in rescuing eurydice and she says oh and they lived happily ever and he's like yes and they kiss and it's a beautiful little moment but it's interesting because if we think about the narrative of the film, that scene is the middle of their story. So they can be happy because he stopped in the middle. That's very true. That's so a I very, like very good point. That mm. is joy. I see what you're doing there. So kudos to you on that. Hmm. Um, the story of Orpheus and Eurydice is not happy. It is very sad and tragic, and it has to do with a number of different things when you when you read Greek myths and you look at some of these elements. Um, you know, there are certain morals that you're being taught. There are certain things that you are expected to learn as a result. And there is a lot in this film about which way is the best way for someone to look. Somebody like Watts is benefited from looking forward because she's kind of stuck in her present. Nick, who is focused on living in the present, discovers that he's better off in the past. Um, and it's an interesting kind of thing to explore. It's an interesting thing to look at as far as where your happiness lies and what kind of control we actually have over it. Um, I, I'm interested in this element of sort of brain manipulation. There have been any number of films on this kind of thing. We've talked about Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. You have some of this with Total Recall. You have some of this with like Minority Report. Um, have you seen the Black Mirror episode San Junipero? I have not. I highly, 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 highly recommend this episode. If you have not seen this episode, please go and look for it. Black Mirror is a dark sci-fi British TV show, and it is absolutely amazing. I mean, think about the Twilight Zone turned to 11. Um, 
However, and most of these episodes are very bleak, which is why people who don't like the dark aren't watching this show. However, Hmm. San Junipero is this beautiful episode. And if you like this idea of um, a kind of eternal romance, definitely check out this episode because it's absolutely beautiful. There were edges of that here, I thought, Um, and how he sacrifices his life to be with her in the end, even though it's not actually her. It's it's I told you it, it, at the very beginning, you, you love it, you hate it. They take it one way. They're pulling you another way. You have no idea what's going on. It, it's exactly what what we're saying here. It's so it sometimes it's just so confusing. But this idea that, you know, like it, it it's very polarizing. If you look up, um, you know, like if you to Google it and you get like people's general reviews, you have people who give it five stars. You have people who give it one star. Um it's IMDb's got it at uh, a 5.9. Right in the middle. Rotten Tomatoes has it at a 38. So it's actually Oof. less than um, appealing. The critics really just aren't crazy about it because they're not um, they're not liking the lack of originality here. So I think the main focus of people who didn't like it as far as Rotten Tomatoes is concerned a lot of the reasons are things that we've already talked about, like films that do this and do it better Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. did it better. And therefore this isn't going to stand up, especially it's not structured as an homage. So there's more so more so a movie that me, I'm not a critic, but maybe even the unoriginality of it, it, just borrowing from every kind of movie you could think of. Like you touched upon inception, minority report, uh, Total Recall. All of these are here. It just kind of mashed into one movie. Yeah. And if I was a critic, that'd be one of my t- – I wouldn't give it, like, a one star just because of it. But it would definitely be, like, at the forefront of my mind of why I might not like it because I feel like originality is lacking in this film. I agree with you on that. I think that it wouldn't crack – um, a middle of the road rating for me. Like I, I would be stuck around a two, two and a half for this because for the same reasons, this element of, Oh, this is like, Oh, this is like, Oh, this is like, um, it, it borrows from so many original sci-fi tales, mm-hmm. even some that aren't original and mushes them into a noir story where Blade Runner has done it better and Dark City has done it better. And, you know, like these these things are just I don't think Jackman is strong enough as a noir leading man to carry mm-hmm. this film the way it needs to be done. Ferguson does a great job, I think. And what I really liked about her is how different her character is from somebody like Rose the Hat in mm-hmm. Dr. Sleep. Because again, when we talk about that film, mediocre book, arguably, not my argument, but arguably maybe a little better than mediocre movie, um, mainly because of her performance in it. It's just mm. sort of, it's, she's carrying some of these films because of how talented she is. And it's definitely time for her to be getting bigger parts in better yes, films. I agree. I mean, uh-huh. even when even even in um, promotions of this film, Hugh Jackman in 
What about Rebecca Ferguson? I just just never understood that. Well, and I mean, part of that comes from his contract. Part of that comes from his box office draw. If you mm. say Rebecca Ferguson to the average moviegoer, they're not going to know who That's she is. That's fair. That's very fair. They know damn well who Hugh Jackman is, mm. and more people will know who Tendiwe Newton is. Although, if you say Tendiwe, they may not remember her as Tandy Newton, um, so you may need to show a picture of her because she has gone back to her um, Nigerian name, which mm. apparently – that little trivia of somebody's typo way back when that, you know, <laughs> left the W out of the end of her name and she just didn't bother to correct it. So um, that's interesting. I, I say that. kudos to her and putting that back in there and, you know, mm. owning that because it's a beautiful name. Um, mm. What else do we need to talk about on this one? I don't really feel like there's much more to cover. Um Rebecca Ferguson was amazing. She was the glue that, again, glue the binds in this movie. Hugh Jackman was lacking. Uh, Tendiwe Newton was really good in a supporting role. Really good. Cliff Curtis, I think, got the short end of the stick. I feel like his character was not developed enough, but it could have been so much more powerful. And then everybody else was just a supporting cast. Those main four, I mean, I feel like they did the best they could <laughs> with what yeah. they had what they were given except for Hugh Jackman again like you said I think he's in this as as a name as a pull for this movie I think he was miscast I mm. think somebody else could have done a better job with this particular role mm. um it just he doesn't fit I like the romantic side of him I don't like the noir detective yeah. that he tries I won- to become here I wonder if if uh, Lisa Joy was just thinking about the chemistry they had in Grey Showman and like, well, there was a romantic chemistry for a very short time there. Let's expand upon it here. I don't know. Um, but maybe fans of The Greatest Showman will see these two and it'll draw them into this movie more. I, I don't know. But that that's all I can think of. And again, just a name, just a big name to have on this film. Um, not a bad film. Again, I did enjoy it, but like you've said a couple of times, it's not going to stand the test of time for sure. And I do think this is a film that's going to get more of an audience on the home streaming than it is in the theater, as evidenced 100%. by the fact that it's not doing well yes. in theaters. I'm not sure if it's in theaters anymore. Um, you know, I, I think that the shame of this is that it is so beautiful to look at. You have that incredible money shot where the piano is pushed through the floor into the oh water my God. and the light so cool. shining down. Um, yep. And you've got sort of this almost, you know, like uh, like reaching to heaven kind of thing and, you know, reaching for life and reaching for light. Every Pick a metaphor. Um, <laughs> you know, it's it's beautifully shot in this old theater and what was versus what could be and these ideas are wonderful i just think that the problem is there were too many i think that's really what it boils down to here i mean i I hate to completely take you off your tangent there for a minute but a quick a quick aside i had during that one scene uh with the piano going in the water and he dives in and he actually frees booth from it and booth kicks him in the chest and he's just sitting there floating 
I don't know how long he was in the water, and I don't know if it's his naval training or whatnot. But and I'm not going to be like, oh my god, how long can you hold your breath for? That that's whatever. He comes out of the water, and he's fine. How do you, how do you not go? <gasps> not to mention then- yes, and that <laughs> moment where Booth is sitting there with his back. Uh-huh. And doesn't hear him come up behind him. Absolutely not. You not come even, out of that not even a, Something. You give yeah. me something. Guaranteed. Nothing. Nothing. And that Guaranteed. really bothered me for a re- for the record. That was insanity. I absolutely agree with you. Like, no, I don't care how long you're under there. Fine, you've got the best lung capacity in the history of the world. But when you come out of that water, you gasp for air or you splash something. There was none of that. Seriously, like, just a drip. Give me something. But I, no. So suspend disbelief, <laughs> whatever. It's sci-fi. I have no idea. Maybe he's the most naval, navy, navy SEAL guy in the world. <laughs> but I I just saw that. I'm like, hang on. It just I am taking a big little. breath after I'm in the water that long. Yeah, it went, it went too far. It went too far. Um, all right. So. That has been our most recent new release. I think it's time to spin that wheel and let's figure out what our next episode is going to be focused on. Oh, God. like you know this is rigged somehow oh god is it mine again it's your list of doom again oh my god no <laughs> so i'm being punished here is what's happening this i want amazing. to see some of the movies on your list this is killing I me i really do like i'm starting uh, to feel like darn should i lie and say it was my list of doom no. no it's your list of doom again so you need to hit the button on the randomizer and tell us what we're watching next I really don't want to. We've already done two. I feel like this is the third strike, Mark. This is going to be bad. God. All right. Here we go. All right. I'm going to be mocked for this of why I haven't seen this. You might be excited. One of uh, the greatest movies of our time, apparently. Oh, really? Slumdog Millionaire. Slumdog Yes! (laughs) I've been waiting for this to come up. Yep. Yeah. This is the movie that has popped up. Yep. Yes, you're getting a full-on yes on this. I slum dog. Yeah. This movie is wonderful. It's probably gonna be a little dated, but um, it's so joyous, and it's where we got Dev Patel. And Dev Patel is an incredible actor. I think that he's underrated. I don't think he's used enough. He's definitely making a name for himself as a reliable actor in indie films. Uh, If you haven't seen The Green Knight, please go see this movie. It is incredible. It's just so wonderfully put together. Um, You know, he was recently in an adaptation of David Copperfield. And I know it has a longer title than that. Forgive me. I don't remember what it is. But... (laughs) You know, he was really great on HBO's shows, The Newsroom. He just, he's such a delight. And so I'm very excited for you to see this. This is not going to be a bad movie and you are going to enjoy this. You may not be your favorite movie ever, but the 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 strikes have avoided us because this is not a crappy movie. Let's just, let's just go back here. 
all the movies that have come up on my list, I've ended up enjoying. I'm just saying. Um, I think you're going to enjoy this one. Has your wife I'm seen sure. this one? Uh, I believe she has, and to the point where I actually think she really loves this movie. So she's yeah. going to be very excited to hear this. This is a cool one. So this yeah. basically means that fate is building up to take a big old crap on my head. Because when my <laughs> list of doom comes up, it's going to be something that's torturous. Uh, we are getting really coddled by your list of doom. Yeah. Well, I got, I mean, you said you've even seen my list and we're definitely avoiding some bullets, I feel. Oh, for sure. For <laughs> sure. There are some serious bullets on your list and on uh, mine. So uh, I don't know. We seem to be doing okay here. But yeah. so moving on. So episode 1.7 will be focused on Slumdog Millionaire. Just such a cool film. I'm really excited to revisit this one. You're welcome. All right, Mark. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I am mm-hmm. Lisa Leahy. And I am Mark Passanelli. We are The Civ List, and we will see you next time. Copyright 2021 Rabbit Hole Podcast. Rabbit Hole Podcast.com.